Other wrestling podcasts are full of fake wannabes. And that's the bottom line, because the Jabroni said suck it at Suplex City, bitch. We provide you with the true fan experience. You just made the list! TMA Studios. It's what you want. Warning. The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the shootout are not the views and opinions of TMB Studios, its management, or the host, Bill Blanchard. They are strictly the views and opinions of the guest and the guest alone. If you are offended by any of these views and opinions, please stop listening now. It's time! What was the craziest thing you ever did in the ring? That people said, oh my god, that boy is stupid. Put over Brandon Parker. What? <laughs> no, no. I mean, because we did some pretty weird shit over there. I mean, me and me and Devin Wright at one point had a buff bitch match. Whatever it is. A buff bitch and, match? Damn. And he looked like the big guy off of Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to be honest. <laughs> That's, that's just, that shocked the fuck out of me, pal. That shocked me, too. One guy who's just asking straight-up questions to people, and straight-up answers, is getting more hits than something that brings a lot of people back to their childhood. And, I mean, it's just kind of funny. I appreciate that. You ready? Go ahead. <laughs> Chris Dickens. Do we really have to go there? No, I heard Vince's comment about that. He said, hey, even God himself has a, has a sense of humor. You know? I mean, wow. Had to create a Christopher Dwayne Dickens. <laughs> oh, God! How many ring racks? How many ring racks did you have backstage? There were rumors about... How many ring racks wanted to get some... Dirt? Wait, 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 what? Yeah, how many ring racks you actually had some Ring dirt? rats? Oh, boy. Oh, God, Chris. HK wouldn't tell dirt what ring rats are. Oh, the one even Wolf Call would turn down. Dale Cheryl. <laughs> Damn! I hit another singer right out the park. Wow! Uh, wow! Don't forget, well, we have know, to put Six over in the main event because he was the top guy, and um, yeah. Well, Hogan must pose, you know what I mean? Hogan must pose! I'll stand it first! I feel like going to the Cheeto show and Patriots part. I was like pissing on the grave. That one for us. The shootout with Bill Blanchard. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another special episode of the Wrestling Shootout. I'm your host, Bobby Payne, Bill Blanchard, along with my co host, former UCW Heavyweight Champion and AWF Wrestling Heavyweight Champion. I've got Christian Fury back on one tonight. Christian Fury, how you doing tonight, man? Oh, man, I can't complain. Surviving during this whole COVID-19 stuff, you know, still steadily working, but finding time to be able to do all the podcasts, you know, making it happen, brother. Yeah, trying to make it happen. We're going to do the best we can to keep things rolling here. Tonight, we have a very, very special guest on the show. We've got Billy Dupree. You know, he's been a long-time wrestling fan of the professional wrestling. He's a long competitor in professional wrestling. He's also a combat veteran of our United States military. Mr. Billy Dupree, we thank you for your service. And welcome to the Wrestling Shootout, my man. How you doing this week? I'm actually very happy to be here. First time I've ever been on a podcast, so 
fire away the questions and I'll answer the best I can. You know what I mean? Oh, I got you, Buff, man. I hope, I hope, I'm hoping you know, this won't be your last podcast. We gotta, I want to have a big shout-out to our partner in the Touch My Bass Entertainment world, uh, to Caleb Stovall, the Stovall Wrestling Network. He was out there about a week or so ago and had a great show with him. And uh, you know, We wish him all the best luck and everything he's doing. Um, let's, let's get, how long have you been following professional wrestling? Uh, since I've been knee-high to a grasshopper. To be honest with you, uh, I came in the time when Andre got slammed, uh, which made Hulk Hogan's career and ripped up every muscle in his back doing it. Which time did uh, Hogan slam Andre a couple of times? You talked about the time the WrestleMania three times in the nineteen eighty. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking or, WrestleMania three. WrestleMania three, Pontiac Silverdome. Yep, yep, yep. When uh, Andre, this is from what I've heard, when Andre said to Hogan, "Slam me," and Hogan looked up at him and went, "Do what?" And uh, he slammed him and tore every muscle in his back while doing it. Yeah. I, I don't think he was ready for the weight. <laughs> oh, Hogan, Hogan, you know, and I, and I know Fury knows this as well. You see, you know, I did a giant documentary, plus many other shoot interviews with that particular match. You know, Hogan put the whole match down on a yellow legal notepad. And he did, thought he could slam Andre, but whether Andre was going to go for it or not. But, but, you know, Hogan had slammed Andre before. Other wrestlers have slammed Andre before, including the likes of Polly Race and King Gun Bundy. And, you know, a few other guys have got Andre up, but Andre was around 400 pounds during those times. Andre was probably as big as he was, you know, about 525 to 550 pounds. Should be close to 600, give or take. But, you know, they weighed him in at 525, 550, you know. But, yeah, Hogan did got them up and slammed them. It was, and you are correct. Hogan did tour a lot of stuff in his back. And it, it hurt him to this day still. Um, but yeah, man, I, I, I could talk about WrestleMania 3 all damn day long, especially of the Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. So I got followed and done my fair share of research on Hogan and Andre. Definitely one of my favorite uh, moments in professional wrestling. Matter of so, fact, Hogan was born Terry Bollea down here in Augusta, Georgia. At University Hospital, the same hospital yep. I was born at. I was same hospital my son was born at. Yeah, my little son was born at University. The other two are born at Doctors. But uh, yeah, man, that's pretty cool. Um, I don't think a lot of people know that about Terry Bollea. That he was actually born in Augusta, Georgia. He actually played sax at the uh, at the um, what's the name of that bar? I forget. It's done torn down now. The Honky Tonk. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, he played sax at the Honky Tonk. He sure did. He sure did. He sure did. Um, well, let me ask you this question, man. What was it that started that, you know, you decided you wanted to break into pro wrestling? Because everyone's got their beginnings. What was your beginning to breaking into professional wrestling? Actually, it was an incident. Um, my brother, Freddie Stubbs, the love machine, decided he was going to take me down to GPXW, which is where I got my 
first professional wrestling start. Uh, and uh, the booker looked at me and said, get in the ring. Let's see what you got. So I got into the ring, showed him what I got, everything like that. And he booked me for that show. And it was, I didn't expect to go down there. I was going down there to cheer on my little brother. And, uh, they put us against each other a couple of times and everything like that. And the rest is history. Shall they say, unfortunately, my brother has not put on the tight since then. He's been too busy working. That's a lot of it, big man. That's a lot of it. Um, what's the first? Okay, so you, so you break in in there. What happens next? Do you, do you go to wrestling school, or is it like an on-the-job training for you? You just get in the ring, get in the ring, or, you know, well, kind of training? A lot of, a lot of people know about the backyard BS. Right. Well, well I, was, I don't think it's BS. I don't hear anyone said, I'm not getting anybody else trying to tell me that crap, but go ahead. <laughs> Well, that's what they tend to call it, you know, because you're not properly trained, blah, 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 blah. But I learned, I learned a live and learn type of station that if it hurts too much, don't do it. Um, (laughs) You know, don't jump off a tree, you know, kind of, uh, kind of things that should never have been said. You know, uh, common sense things. But I, I did that in Vegas for a while, right? Where our ring, our ring was actually four fifty-five gallon drums and caution tape, right? I mean, we all got to get our start somewhere, I guess. But the first professional one that I was at was GPXW. GPXW. Where they where they based on at? Las Vegas? Uh they're down in uh they're down in oh Scotty Bootwinkle was with them too. Uh shoot. Uh Swainsboro. That's Georgia. Yeah. I lived in South Carolina. I have not wrestled in South Carolina. Yeah, I got you. I got you. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I like to comment on this if I could. Uh, you mentioned about you know the BS in the backyard. I know Christian Fury can tell you some stories too. I mean, I, I'm not going to throw Fury under the bus, but you know, some wrestlers were scared to break in the indie, would saying that they were they started in the backyard. You know, yeah, if you're an level, you automatically go, oh, you're on a train. You don't know what the hell you're freaking doing. You think you're a know-it-all. And, you know, a lot of people wrestling in the scene had a distasteful for backyard wrestling. And backyard wrestling did have a cult following out for a little while. I mean, they even had VHS and DVDs. You know, the best of backyard wrestling. I mean, I mean, I'll do all it is. What's the difference? You know, if, if 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 kids are watching NBA basketball or NCAA and get all excited, so they put basketball go up in the backyard and start playing basketball and learn some and learning how to play a ball player. What's the difference? Well, you know, going it's, to a, it's like, just like with me. It's the same yeah. thing. When I was playing, when I was playing basketball, 
I'd throw yeah. elbows like Shaq. I was I'm some people. Yeah, I agree with you. It's relatively the same thing. I don't, I don't understand people, you know, okay, look, you know, people say, oh, he's jumping off flyers and crashing on through tables, you know, what's just when you see a Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon match, you know, what, what, what's the difference between the Dudleys and the Hardys, you know, they're seeing with kids seeing with TV, you know, who's going to take a match off the ladder and do all that, you know, you see it, so they, they don't figure it out for themselves, you know, yeah. you know create their ring, create what they think with this, what's going on, and then and they get started. I mean, what, how, how is that any difference when Mick Foley, we all know as a WWE Hall of Famer, three-time WWE champion, TNA champion, too, you know, he, he, he goes to Madison Square Garden and sees a big feud with a big match with Jimmy Superfly Snooker in the Rock Don Morocco. When he sees Superfly come on the top of the cage, he leaves off the clash. What does he do? He creates, Mick Foley creates his own wrestling character called it Do Love, from the top of a 15-foot-high roof and jumped off and splashed. Or his make believe matches ring, you know. Yep. There's a program and showcase in that. I mean, so what's the difference, man? The only thing I got there was sitting there talk smack about it. Me, I, like I said, I'm not throwing fear under the bus. I had no problem telling anything to guys that, yeah, man, I'm from AWF. Yeah, I did backyard roughly. What's your point? Well, you know? as you well know, uh, after GPXW, I went to AWF. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And what was that like for you? What was that like for you? You see an AWF come up to the Harlem Arena, because I know a lot of people have had some bad things to say about me and Dickens and Fury, but, you know, what's that you? What was your thought? I had a whole hell of a lot of fun, to be honest with you, because I could actually be myself. You know, I could actually, I've got pictures with blood dripping down my forehead. I donned the red mask so many times that it seemed like every time you ring the bell, I've got to don the red mask. <laughs> yeah, before I go any further, I like theories. You know, like I said, I'm going to try to thumb under the bus. The theory, any comments you want to add? I know you had a different mindset than I did, but, you know, explain your side of things about backyard and Indian love and your experience. Well, during this time period, I was going to go uh, get training with uh, <clears throat> Team Money and um, <clears throat> the Unbreakable Matt Cruz. And uh, my whole impression was, I'm not telling them anything. I'm just going to be here to learn because I know they feel some type of way and they might try to rough me up and it'll get real physical. I'm there to learn. I'm not there to fight. You know, but I'll fight if need be. That was my whole impression of it. Today, I have no problem telling you where I started at. Is we all like you said, we all started somewhere. And unlike the fifty-five gallon barrels and caution tape, we had little two by fours with uh white twine as our ring <laughs> starting off. So yeah, um, I have no problem telling you where I came from. Kind of hard to hit the ropes when it's white twine or caution tape. <laughs> the whole ring falls apart if you do. Well, I tell you what, I was there during that same time period with uh, with Fury. I was there with Team Money and the Unbreakable Crews, and you know, I had no problem saying that. Yeah, I did uh, wrestle the AW. I mean, and when the Unbreakable Matt Cruz, I'm not trying to throw Gary under the bus here. Got mad respect for him, but I'm, I'm not gonna lie either. You know, he tried to shoot on me in a match. 
he really took some, he took some liberties and tried to really punch me in the back of the head, punch him over the neck, hard to get, and he learned real quick through survivor pain was at that given moment. I look, dude, I'm going to let you do what you got to do, but you try to try me, I got no problem putting you back in your place. You know, I looked at him straight up and smashed him right in the freaking corner. He heard his back, actually, afterwards. I mean, me and him talked about it afterwards, but he claims he was trying to show me up because he felt like I was late for his practice. And I said, Gary, I called you two hours ahead of time. I'm paying some of my bills right now. I'll get there probably around 15, 20 minutes after practice starts. I'm sorry. You know, as soon as I get there, immediately start chopping me in the chest. You know, okay, I take a few of those, and then, you know, he wants, to, he wants to scramble. I guess he was trying to make an example out of me. I'm going to show you all these backyarders are. But the moment he tried to hurt me, the moment I ended it with him. And well, the one thing, the one thing I can say about backyarders is we learn to fight first. Yeah. I know I didn't. Because we didn't know what we were doing when we first got in there. So we learned how to fight first. And like like you were saying, a couple of people have shot on me in the indie scene and everything like that, and they found out that that was probably not the best of ideas. No. No. I mean, granted, I guess in some cases it might have shot me in the foot. I, I did have, I did struggle getting certain bookings because people thought like I thought wrestling was real. I said, no, that's not that I thought it was real. I knew it was a work, but I'm yeah. not going to just let my take liberties on me either. You know, I mean, I'm willing to work hard and prove myself. And then, you know, but once I realized, okay, dude, you've hurt me once, you hurt me twice, three times. Okay, look, dude, back off. That's and baseball. You, and all of a sudden, you took that. Oh, he just told me to back off. And now he starts hitting me for real. Okay, now it's time to change the game. And I proved it every single time when someone tried to shit on me, I ended instantly. That's only because, like I said, you know, I'm a submission wrestling specialist, you know. I'm a United States Marine, you know. I'm a fucking cop, you know. I got no problem saying that in the air, you know. But I'm like, look, dude, I'm not going to just let you let you hurt me, hurt me. I'm like, okay, look, if we call for it, we call for it. If move gone bad, it goes bad. Hey, I get, it. you know. You know. Want to push me as hard as you can, and I said, hey, brother, you know, back off. Okay, now I'm gonna have. Now I'm gonna throw. Well, no, no, you're in AWF right now. What were some of your first few opponents that you are some of your favorite opponents must be in AWF? Um, couple of opponents that I had the most fun with was uh, oh, besides Christian Fury, a couple of times, uh, Don Brown. He was fun. Um, Me hitting uh, Chris with a stop sign was fun. Yeah, I was getting ready to ask you that question about Chris. Now, did Chris call for that, or you decided to hit the stop sign? Because a lot of times Chris will want someone to hit him with a foreign object. If it's not a stop sign, a DVD player, or anything like that, Chris always loved the hardcore stuff. Chris called for it, but I wasn't sure when I was going to do it. We did it at the end of the match. Right. Outside over by the cars. And uh, the other one was uh, 
Fluffy. Uh, I hit him with a crutch. And the top of the crutch went about 60 feet in the air, it seemed like. And uh, Chris was recording at that point in time. And he didn't know whether he wanted to follow the crutch or follow the action. <laughs> I think he was watching the crutch to make sure it didn't hit him on the way down. <laughs> I just remember Fluffy couldn't sit down for about a week. Now, I know Christopher and Jay was doing majority of the booking during those, during those days as far as titles and anything to that matter. Did you have any championship wins? AWS. No, I did not. I was uh, going for the uh, hardcore championship, uh -huh. and unfortunately, I was called in to work. Oh, okay, okay. okay. If I remember correctly, there was one time that you and Change was also the co-holder of the Georgia Southern or the North American Championship at one point. Yeah, it was I, North American Championship. What happened? Are you serious? Yes. How the hell are y'all co-owners of that title? Whose grandchild was that? <sighs> that was a Chris Dickens thing, I believe. Well, I want to say it was some sort of battle royal or something that it came down to me and uh, uh, freaking Bayou Billy. And yeah. um, it was told that, hey, I got a great idea. Why don't you two just size each other up, both of you lay down, throw your arms over each other and get the pin, one, two, three. Both of you win, and you both co-hold the uh, North American or the whatever it was. I think it was the North American Championship. And perfectly honest, I think, that was he won it, but I think most of the time he was called into work, so he was never there to really defend it. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened. <laughs> I think I think that was a Chris Dickens thing. That's got to be because one of the I think ultimately I've ever heard of. <laughs> I think I think the thought process was they were going to pair chains and Bayou Billy up as a tag team. And there were some remnants of it after I think the North American title was out of the equation when Bayou Billy showed back up. And but we never really did anything solid. Yeah. You know, so <clears throat> and yeah, people want to know why AWF didn't make it in. I'm sorry, that was boy. And you actually like that idea, Fury? You went along with it, so I'm assuming you agree with it. Well, it was one of those. <laughs> it was one of those. Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, it was more like uh, you got a boss. <laughs> I must have been out of work that day. I never would agree to that storyline. And go, good God, oh, Billy, I'm so sorry you had to witness such wonderful creative venture soul style booking. We can't have a regular. Let's have a duo championship. Yeah. You know. Like like I said, a lot of times it, AWF to me was fun. AWF 
was fun. I'm not saying it was. I loved AWF. Hell, I did for 14 freaking years until AWF stabbed me in the back, and then I walked away from it. You know? So, yeah. I mean, it was fun for a lot of people, man. I I enjoyed the friends that I made. You know? And I and it's sad that I'm not friends with 90% of those guys no more for whatever. I mean, I mean, I don't know if you were there, Billy Dupree. I showed to an AWF event, right? And everybody's in the ring doing training session. I crawl in the ring. I want to bump too. And everybody got out of the ring. But nobody wanted to be in the ring for me. And I said, God, you're freaking kidding me. You know, I don't I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Like, who did I piss off? What's, what's being set behind my back? And it was finally, I don't know if you was part of the conversation. I don't know what was said. All the thing I got told was all the AWF guys were in the back, had a talk with Jay and Chris. They did not feel safe to, for me to be in the ring with them. They didn't want to be in the ring with me no more. Then Jay and Chris had to tell me that they think I'm unsafe because I got PTSD. I might snap or hurt somebody. No one really knows when I might black out and hurt somebody. So nobody wanted to be in the ring with me. You know, I said, oh, and that's why I left. You know? I well, just, both of us, both of us know what suffering from PTSD does. Yeah. And it's normally not a happy, happy, joy, joy situation when it snaps. Uh, but from what I had heard, you you were going through some personal things and everything like that. We didn't know. Some of us didn't know if you were going to snap. I realized I was reaching a breaking point because my ex-wife took off and left and took my kids and left me high and dry with all the freaking bills. And, you know, yeah, I, I, I had an emotional breakdown. I'm not going to deny yeah. that. But the fact is, I didn't kill the guy that was trying to have sex with her during this time. The fact that, you know, I looked at this guy. He was a, he, I worked with the guy, too. I don't know if people knew that or not. I worked with him, too. I brought him to AWF. And behind my back, he's trying to sleep with Rebecca. I'm talking about Oakley Snipes, you know. Oh, Bill, he's your brother. He would never do that, you know. I got you. I got you one about Oakley Snipes. Friends out there, he was trying to hit on them too, you know. Jeez. Oh, yeah. My girl at the time, uh, Sheree, he was trying to hit up with that. Yeah. Wow. Damn. What can I say? You know, when I I let everybody in ABF know, oh, Bill, you're just exaggerating. Oakley wouldn't do that to you. So they gave me the boot. When Chris and Jay tell me that shit, I, I left, you know. I'm all heartbroken. Guys are all my friends and my family. Where I needed my brotherhood the most, they turned their back on me. And they all chose to believe Oakley Snipes. And then what, what was he doing? Like I said, he, I, I know he tried to hit on a lot of people's girlfriends and wives. I mean, I'll let Fury explain on his end if it, was, if it, if it happened to him or not. But I know I know, it, 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 I know he did to Josh. I know he did to see other people too. Now I just find out he did to you too. You know, I, I think I think Josh got the ultimate comeback to that. Oh, of course, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Josh is the biggest receipt on that one. And I love Josh too, by the way. Too. <laughs> I just hated the fact that everybody maybe wouldn't believe me, but they believed him. And it seemed like people didn't turn their, you know, I'm not bashing Josh when I say it, but it just seemed like nobody seemed to care until he did it to Josh. But I guess because it was like, it was like such a public forum, I guess. I don't, I don't know. On, yeah. on my defense, on my defense, yeah, <laughs> I didn't care what was going on personally. Right. When, because of the PTSD, in right. my 
because of the PTSD and the personal aspects behind what was going on. I didn't know when you were going to blow, bro. Oh, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm mature we're, enough now. We're on yeah, the verge. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I respect you, Billy. Because you had no problem walking to me and shaking my hand. I said, brother, I'm here for you. I know your mm -hmm. pain, what you're going through. I always admired you and Don Brown. The rest of the AWF, uh, whatever. I'm not going with Jay earned a buzz. I say Jay did it because Jay was Jay was there for me from day one. Jay didn't turn his back on me. Nor did Chris Dickens. Okay, I'm gonna say it right now. But as far as the AWF roster as itself, you know, wouldn't say nothing to me. Just walked away from me. But Don came to me and shook my hand like a man and he put his arm around me and told me the same thing you did. This is brother. I'm here. Because Don been through it. Don knows you've been through it. You know, and and it's just. You know, well, one thing one thing I can say is those people that were brotherhood to you and everything like that that came up and said we're here if you need to talk, they're the only ones still in that this situation. They are, yeah. You know, Don, Carl, me, you. I mean, where's the rest of them? I mean, I know Chris working and everything like that. He got that manager job. Yeah, yeah. You know, and he'd be there if you could. Well, Chris is Chris is Chris has been there for me. I mean, Chris has done some things too, but you know, like I said, you know, brothers fight. I'm a firm believer in that. Brothers fight. Brothers argue, but it doesn't stop you from being brothers if you're truly brothers. You know what I mean? You know, well, a Chris so got wouldn't be a relationship unless there were arguments. Of course. <laughs> of course, you know, you know the Christmas, he, he left AWF two and on the core. He felt burned and betrayed, and you know, and you know, Jay might feel burned, betrayed for us walking away. But you know, I told Jay, I don't have a choice, man. What am I supposed to do? And and nobody didn't want to get in the ring and ruffle me, you know. Mm -hmm. And people around me, what am I supposed to do? Referee, a ring announce, broadcast? Well, which which one me to do? You know, I, I've I've already been told I can't get my ring back. You know, I, well, I, I do for your ring announcement. <laughs> so, uh, I was so I just I just had to walk away from the business, you know. But hey, this is not about me, man. This is about you, you know. I didn't mean to jump on that. We just talked about AEW. Final days of it. It's still a dark cloud of me. <laughs> but uh, UC, UCW, I do I do enjoy your uh, your commentary. Oh, I appreciate that. I love doing it. I was having fun. Yeah, I was I was having me and me and Blake and Cave School of All, man. We were killing it, man. I was I was loving it. You know, but hey, let me ask you this question now. How did you get started with Livewire? I remember I've, I've heard of the grapevine, you know, you got a chance to work with Billy Johnson's promotion in the early days of Livewire during right after during the time frame of AWF was going on, too. Well, I was like, talking about Billy uh, Muffin Top Johnson. <laughs> um, well. He booked me and everything like that, but then he started spreading around that I was dangerous. I wanted to hurt everybody. This, that, and the other. It was because of your gimmick, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, I begged and pleaded for every booker 
in the state of Georgia to book a match between me and Billy Johnson, no holds barred, and then once it's over, it's over. Right. Uh, unfortunately, nobody could book that match because Billy Johnson's a little never mind. I, I can't say that. You can. <laughs> okay. Billy Johnson's a little bitch. I mean, he's, 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 he's been on the show. He's been on the shootout. I mean, like I said, you know, we I tell everybody, don't afraid to say what you want. You, you have entitled to your opinion. I mean, in the beginning, uh, when I first met Billy, me and him did not get along. Matter of fact, I, I wanted to get him in the ring in AWF and everybody, and everybody in the roster. This is, this is not that pissing me off, you know, no offensive theory. But him and everybody else begged me, don't stoop to his level. Don't get in the ring and hurt this guy, you know. Don't stick to his level. He's nothing. So every single one that said that to me, the very next week, because okay, fine. I, I told Billy not not to come back in AWF. I just let him go because nobody didn't want me fighting him. Nobody didn't want me wrestling because it was going to be a shoot. You know, I mean, I was going to be professional with Billy, but I was going to let him know you're not going to disrespect and, and disrespect AWF. It was not fight. I'm pretty sure it would have been a really. It might be a little snug, but I'm pretty sure if he can give it, he can take it, right? But then. When that didn't happen, when nobody, you know, pretty much told me, everybody voted Billy out. So, fine, we let, we let Billy go. And every single one, including Fury, no offense, Jay, including Fury, and New York Russell forgot that very next week when he started live wire. You want to talk about kicking the ball, slapping the face? Like, y'all don't want me touching this guy, but all y'all didn't want AWF, while y'all wouldn't go work for him? Well, hey, Bill, it's ring time. Like, oh, okay, nothing about AWF. No more. The one that got me involved with uh, Livewire is the same yeah. one that got Josh involved with Livewire. I mean, he, used he, used out, he used to come out to I'm sexy and I know it. Bam. <laughs> well, you know, me and Billy talked since then. We, we've actually, uh, God, what year is this? 2020. I want to say it's last year, 2019. Me and Billy actually, uh, you know, sat down and had a. I'm not, not take that back. I want to say it's 2018. 2018. Me and him, you know, sat down. We talked, and whatever issues we had, we let it go. We moved on from it. We took hands and became professionals. And you know, um, you know, it's part of the bridge as far as I'm concerned. To me, you know, hell, right at this point, I can't remember, you know, why I was mad up in the first place. But you know, I guess it's. Some things were being said about my promotion, AWF, at the time. And I felt like I was the only one I was willing to take a stand for it when everybody else wanted to go work for the guy. You know, it was the personal issues there. But, you know, like I said, me and Billy talked it out. And I allowed him. He's going to shoot out now three or four times now, actually. You know. I, I did three matches with Livewire. Yeah. One was against, uh, one was a hardcore match with Tweeter and all them. And that was when Tweeter had his back hurt real bad. And I had to roll him out of the ring. Mm. But I was a dangerous one. Yeah. If, if everyone was so saying you were so dangerous, okay? Here's my favorite question. I've asked this before and other people else. If I was so dangerous, and the same thing for you, if you were so dangerous, how many people would you put in the hospital? Let's face it, Billy. Men, you're big guys, okay? We're strong, very powerful, deadly guys. We want to be, you know? How many people do we put in the hospital? Because you, you blacked out and legitimately hurt somebody or, 
you're an accident waiting to happen. You did a move wrong, and then boom. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I've never been a Nia Jax. Thank you. <laughs> That's the best anything I've ever doing this show. <laughs> but I've never been that. that. Um, I like to call it in the ring and do what we do. Yeah. Now, mind you, if I was going up against Billy Johnson, it'd be a straight shoot. I don't care. Right. I I do my best to hurt him. I'll just be honest. And that's that's you, me, and God and and the rest of the listeners. You know. If I had the chance to, I would. Um, but the second one that I thoroughly remember was against Big Game James. No, that's a, <laughs> that's a big the wall move. <laughs> yeah, the wall. Um, he whipped me into the wall, and that was planned. What wasn't planned was me not getting my hand up soon enough. And I hit that wall full force with my cranium. Now, mind you, I broke the wall. With his head. With my head. Wow. But I could not remember the words, take it home. Because I was that dazed. Um, Carl can tell you about this one. <laughs> yeah. Watching backstage, and you, know, you see it happen, and you hear this big old thud and the wall move. The lights were on, but nobody was home. Mm. <laughs> and Big Game James is a big dude. <laughs> Did you ever go to the doctor? He, he, didn't, doctor? he didn't realize that uh, he was knocked out. Okay, I think no. he tried to do a couple more moves before he finally took it home. Did you ever diagnose with, with a concussion after that match? You ever go to a doctor or medical or anything like that? Or uh, I went to uh, the Catholic hospital that's now the VA. Yeah, yeah. Um, I went up there. And they said I had no concussion, which I was like, okay, I could have felt it. <laughs> How did they tell you had no concussion? Because I, when I went to the VA, when I had my concussion, I just described the symptoms as, oh yeah, you got a concussion. Oh yeah, definitely, you got you have a trauma brain injury. I'm like, oh wow, oh, okay, you know, yeah. All I did ask if they had to ask me a few questions. I described what I was feeling, you know. And, I didn't have no freaking cat scan, brain scan, or anything like that. They just told me I had a. I just described the hit that I had. And they say any legitimate hit to the head, you're going to have a concussion. That's what the doctor told yeah. me. I'm like, wow. But uh, so I went home, uh, took some painkillers from my head. Yeah. And carried on away my life. Oh. Um, where do you go from here? Because, you know, you, you, you did a few matches at Livewire. You, you know, AWF is pretty much closed up shop. Now you're about to enter 
United Championship Wrestling. What are some of your best memories? Oh, before we go there, before we go there, he used to he used to go down to APW in Statesboro. Mm-hmm. And there was an incident that happened down there that got him supposedly banned for something. Banned at the at the uh, at the dojo, but everywhere else I was able to go. Yeah, that was crazy because he wrestled for Tom uh, for APW and Statesboro there for a little bit, and he used to have his shows majority at the Karate Dojo there, and I guess something came up missing or whatever it was. And they blamed Bubba. They yep. they blamed Billy Dupree over this stuff of it coming up missing or whatever else. So he got banned. And I think you left APW shortly after that because Tom didn't even stick up for you. Well, uh, that was after uh, that was before uh, we did the show for APW outside, and I was there. And I was part of the matches. And then we formed a tag team with Scotty Bullwinkle, me, and Don Brown called OMG. Yep. And we went up against the people from another dojo. And uh, we walked in. We walked in and we were the bad guys. Ooh. (laughs) And I remember the person from the other dojo going from one turnbuckle to the other turnbuckle. We were outside the ring from one turnbuckle post to the other turnbuckle post, which I was standing, not looking at him. And he put his foot in my ribs so hard that I forgot to breathe. I mean... And that was, and Don had the same thing happen to him, only he was tied up in the ropes and he got a side kick right to the ribs. Oh, wrong guy kicked him. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, it was like, pull your blows, please. (laughs) That shit hurts. (laughs) Um, But the gentleman that kicked me, I watched the video later. He never touched the ground. He did a flying sidekick into my ribs from one end of the ring to the other end of the ring and never touched the ground in between. That's amazing. And be honest, it hurt. It hurt bad. But that was also the time that me, Scotty Bullwinkle, and Don Brown had to sit in the locker room till they got everybody out of the arena for fear that we would get jumped in the parking lot. Oh, he had some of that old school heat going then. Yes. <laughs> there was a we special needs. There was a special needs gentleman in the audience and he was yelling at us. So we decided to yell back and the cop, a a cop got in both of our, in between us just to separate us. 
we walked in and it was a predominantly black area. We walked in wearing rebel flags, throwing up devil horns, the whole spiel. People hated us. And it was probably some of the most fun that I had. Because I love the reaction of the crowd. There was was one time in GPXW, real quick, going back. I was facing Jamie Deal in a hardcore match. Right. And we went all the way around that arena. Into the crowd. I spit coke in his face from... A person's cup that was sitting there. Uh, We went into the bathroom and beat each other up. I gave him a swirly, which was fun. Uh, And as you know, we both, uh, as you know, I wear the don, uh, I don the red mask on occasion. And this occasion, I and him both donned the red mask. But we're back there in the locker room. And uh, I went out to smoke a cigarette. Evil, evil cigarettes. And I looked around the corner in the parking lot. Jamie Deal's mother was waiting out in the parking lot with a baseball bat. Because I heard his little boy, I heard her little boy. Holy cow, you serious? Yep. I had to send him out just to calm her down. I mean, I get heat when I play a heel. And I love playing heels. It was it was difficult for uh, me to come around from playing heels all this time to playing a face with UCW because I played heels all of my life, all of my wrestling career. I've played a heel, I've played a bad guy, and I've loved every moment of it. But now in UCW. I play a face, and that was difficult. What made it difficult for you? Huh? What made it difficult for you? You know, go from heel to face. Because some people yeah. think it's easy. They're just more comfortable being the heel. Yeah. Some said they don't know how. They prefer being a face. I'm, my, this is just my personal opinion. I, I think it's much easier being a heel if you know how to get teeth. A baby face is not going to work if you're not working with a good heel, unless it's just automatically loved from previous work. If you're breaking in, you're trying to be, you're trying to get fans to cheer for you. But the guy didn't get no heat. In my opinion, to be a successful heel, people want to boo you and see the Easter. Don't even cheer for the Easter Bunny to come out there and beat you. You know, if you're yeah. not, I the Jay and Chris when they first broke in. I said, if you're not getting heat, you know, it's not going to work. You're not going to get no damn popper and shoe. You've got to get some freaking heat, you know. But hey, I don't, I don't see anything. But you know, just with me, I'm a, I'm a haunter. 
I go to haunted houses and I scare people for a living. Oh um, man, for that. <laughs> I, no, I, 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 that is one of the jobs I've not been able to do for you know I want to do it just say I've done it you know work at a hundred house I love hundred houses yeah but so with me it was so much easier to play a heel character because I would get heat I I get people in my face just I've had people spit on me in the crowd right you know i've had people it's to me as much as in my home life i'm a big teddy bear but people don't know me from that and they see me and they think oh this is some big bad biker dude you know, right. when I've lived through a lot of crap and it's just like, just like with this COVID-19 stuff, I take precautions and everything like that. Just like I took precautions in an NBC environment. You know, I've lived through NBC environments. Heck, I don't know what they injected into my arms while I was in basic training. Heck, I might be immune to this stuff. That's one thing I was telling Survivor of Pain not too long ago. We don't know what all got ejected into our bodies with that. I ain't told <laughs> you. Like, oh, okay. You're told to take this. Hey, wow. I think it's going to prevent that line. <laughs> stand on that line. As soon as you feel the poke, take a step forward. That's right. The old assembly line. <laughs> You're <laughs> but it for me it was so much fun playing a heel one of the best matches that I ever went through and it's one of the shortest matches I had ever went through it was me and Tweeter and GPXW Tweeter was the face Tweeter got announced he went out and high-fived all the crowd and got them clapping and yay and everything like that. And I went out as Bayou Billy. And I scared one kid so bad he wanted to go back up into his mother. Um, I had kids crying on my entrance. And then it was, it was, it was, like I said, the shortest match I had ever been in. We locked up. I pushed him off. He thought about it for a second going, well, this boy country strong. We locked up again. I pushed him just a little harder. Well, he's thinking about it and he gets the crowd to clapping to build him up a little bit. We lock up and I pushed him into the turnbuckle so hard that he went back down onto the, he smacked down on his face. And I turned to the crowd. I went clap for your hero now. And one person clapped 
and I turned around and looked at him, and the dude pointed at his son. He threw his son under the bus. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you know how hard it is to keep a straight face while doing that? <laughs> so, as I'm yelling at this guy, Tweeter drops me, uh, does a drop kick on my back, puts me in the second rope, does a 619. I fall back. He does the five star frog splash, or as he calls it, the three star frog splash. Hits it. One, two, three. Um, that Tweeter's a big boy. And when he comes out with that frog splash, it hurts. Mm. It, we go back to the locker room and everything like that. And I'm changing and everything like that. And Chick Donovan looked at everybody in the, in the locker room and said, that's how you tell a story. And I took that's that. I took that with I've wrestled with people. Chick Donovan was watching my matches and everything like that. Uh, let's see. Demolition Axe. Um, Road Dog Jesse James. That was fun. Um. He wasn't in my match, but uh, he, it was uh, me and Jamie Deal. And we were out there smoking a cigarette. And uh, Road Dog Jesse James was out there. And we went out to him and said, like, Listen, we don't want to seem like Marks. He goes, You don't seem like Marks. You've already been in the ring and done your thing. You know, and uh, we just started started discussing DX and everything like that, and we had a we had a good long conversation till he had to go up into the ring, and he goes, "The best advice that I can give you guys, because you're just coming up, was uh, this business is like a jilted lover. You love it, it don't love you back." I believe that. Have aches and pains in places that you forgot you had places. And that's uh, those are words to live by right there. Keep up the business, the business is not going to love you back. And that's just the aches and pains, but the financial burden, the, the, the political backstabbing. Oh, you know, yeah. Will stab back so they get taste at the top. I mean, I've seen it all and lived it all. I, 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 you're right about that, man. You love the professional business, but the business don't always love you back. And I can, I can definitely say that from personal experience. I mean, it's just like we don't make our money in the ring. No, we make money on the merch table. I, uh, I'm gonna yeah. say 
you know, I, at one point I just started to hate the professional wrestling. Like I said, because I had to get out so I could fall back in love with it again. Me and Christopher were definitely 100% agree on that. We had to get out just so we could fall in love with it again, become a fan of it. If it went to camp trying to destroy you, and you're destroying everyone else around you, like, hey, it was time to get out. You know, but I, I am a fan of it again. I do love it. I love talking about it. And I love, I like it. I can, I'm glad that I can get, you know, pull on my damn network. I pull on my wrestling. I got, I got a huge wrestling library and I appreciate it again. Love it again. You know what I'm saying? You know? Well, one of the things that I, I and my fiance have spoke about was just simply, this is therapy. Wrestling is therapy. It's a way of me not being myself for just a little while and being able to go out and be physical and just do what I love to do. If I didn't have wrestling, I'd be lost in this world. Yeah. There anything to add, man? Well, no, with brother, this, uh huh. No, no, that's from Jay. He had anything he wanted to add? What you just said, especially uh, the advice that I just gave you. Well, with UCW, um, the ones, the several things that I can remember. John Brown standing on my head as I'm gushing blood on the dance floor. Um, going through, going through, and just doing what I love to do. But there is one thing that I must say as soon as we get this back off the ground, I'm coming for dump truck. I'm coming hmm. for the title. That's a God's honest truth. I am coming for that title. And that would be the UCW Octane Championship. Yes, sir. Hmm. But now going back to Road Dog, I mean, yeah, there's time frames where you're like, man, I, I felt it here even recently. Where, yeah. I love the business so much, but at the same time, I needed my time away from it. It's the reason why I haven't been in the ring since October. I've had opportunities, just never took it upon it. I, I, I needed a break from it, a pause from it, because overall, it will run you ragged if you let it. But at the same time, it's something that you love to do. So it's, it's hard to stay away. You... Well, you Separation makes the heart grow stronger. Right. And the more I sit back in the old proverbial rocking chair, you know, the more your mind starts playing, you know, hey, all I need is that little itty-bitty spark, that little bitty spark, you know, whether it be a chance to do, a, you know, a storyline, you know, sink your teeth into a good story. Wow, now I'm back in business. Now I'm wanting to get back in the ring. You know, something about a good story, whether it be over a series of matches or just a match in general where you're telling a story in one night. You know, it's just something about telling that story in the ring makes it all the while. You know, well, um, it's, the, night before, the night before a wrestling match, 
I don't sleep. I can't. I got adrenaline pumping, popping off and everything like that. I sit up and watch YouTube. As a matter of fact, I watch a lot of AWF. Hmm. I'll sit there and watch shoot videos. I'll sit there and watch promo videos. Just, just to get my edge in. You know? I don't know if y'all... Yeah, man, I hear you. Um, I do the same thing. I, I love machine videos. I do watch some the old school do just uh, reminisce a little bit. You know, but I... I you know, I've been, I've been a podcast right now. I listen to Jim Cornette Experience, Grill and JR, What Happened When, Something to Wrestle. You know, uh, KC Commentary has got some really cool stuff back in the territories, you know, and I, I soak up as much knowledge as I can because, I don't know, it's just kind of fascinating, you know, and, and hearing Cornette and, and uh, Vince Russo, you know, kind of go back and forth is kind of hilarious to me. Um, but, you know, we're about to wrap things up here, man. I got to back uh, 83 weeks. Yeah, you know what? If Bischoff puts me to sleep, man. I'm just going to be honest with you. I mean, I, I'm i not saying to man, how to put this. You know, you ask something about wrestling, it's like he has a brain. Makes me up. And listen, but he, he just kind of like, oh, I don't know. But he, he knows about the like the business, technical terms, TV production-wise. But, you know, and then he, he, he just, I don't know. He, he runs from all the hard questions, denies this or... You know, I don't know. My opinion, if, if you're having trouble sleeping, listen to 83 Weeks. That's just my opinion. I'm sitting on like, I stopped listening to Bischoff's show after the 10th or 12th episode. I was like, and I go back around and listen to some of the clips on YouTube about 83 Weeks, you know, and, you know, some of the stuff is interesting. Some of the stuff is just like, okay, Eric, I think you're full of shit, personally. You know, honestly, on some things. You know, and I'm not, not knocking Bischoff. You, know, you remember what you remember? Some of the stuff was over 20 years ago, 25, 30 years ago. I mean, I, I don't know. Some of the things he said by some of the people I find questionable. Whether like you listen to an interview with Greg Gagne, you know, about Eric Bischoff, you know, Greg takes a lot of credit for Hogan and the NWO and some of the angles he had and Bischoff kinda says Greg gets on there and lies just to get himself over. I mean, I don't know, man. You, you, you believe what you want to believe. The way I look at it though, when Eric Bischoff came in, okay, it might have drew some money in the beginning, but um, I look at it like there are two sides to uh, three yeah. sides to every argument. Well, what I'm trying to say is when Eric Bischoff came into control, I know he was trying to make WCW profitable, but he did not like wrestling in the South. He wanted to get it out of there. He wanted to get that Southern style wrestling, if you would. You know, he wanted away from all that. He, he wanted to do something different, you know, and he didn't like the way it was done. And he tried to do things differently, you know, and then you notice how. When the guys from out north, when the NWA came in, they tried to destroy everything that the NWA and WWE stood for. Well, I mean, I'm not thinking, wanted you, to get away from the good old boy. If you don't have a payoff for the babyface coming back, it destroys your whole angle, in my opinion. But yeah, we can go all damn day about that shit. But Bishop, of course, will deny all that. So yeah, I mean, people can just believe what they want to believe, but what really happened with WWE. Well, there's, like I said, there are three sides to every argument. One side, uh, like Bischoff's side, 
everybody else's side and the right side. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I mean, it's one of those things. Like, okay, I remember growing up, you know, nice when Bischoff took over, I didn't mind it. You know, when when he was like, I thought he was a decent announcer, and it, it seemed like he had a love for it. But in front of the cameras, like he was very, very passionate about it. So, uh, I, I mean, even in during the Nitro Awards, I mean, Jay would tell you, I was pulling for WCW the entire time. Even that last year was really hard. I'm not gonna, even I gotta admit, I'm seeing some stupid, stupid stuff. Like, what the hell? But I'll, I still I'll, think I've got my NWO red and white, a uh, red and black shirt somewhere. Oh, I think I might hang it up in my closet. I mean, I'm not saying I didn't like what I saw, except for the last year of it. Like I said, yeah, it's not like I didn't appreciate what the NWO did or the Wolfpack. My thing was destroying the Horsemen, destroying Double A on Anderson, spray paint black paint with Ric Flair, and you would think because okay, I, I I see them doing that on Nitro, right? But like when you kill a wrestling town, you kill business for that town. You go to Winston Salem, North Carolina, and you destroy the horsemen. They paid good money, wanting to see a horse to get redemption. Everything was living up for the face to win. What did they do? They had to destroy them even more. Make Kurt Henning turn on the horsemen, and they did nothing but Kurt Henning. What followed after that? They just killed the angle right off the bat. You know what's this? Yeah. Is not breaking. Okay, when Bischoff is allowing the uh, inmates running the asylum. Because they wanted to go over, what, what, didn't want to put the horseman over, wanted to bury Double A. You know, I mean, come on, man. That, that, that shit was just straight up bullshit. What would have been wrong if the horseman won in Winston Salem? Fans go home happy. Because I'm telling you something, if you look at the numbers, they never did good business again in Winston Salem. Not even the WWE would do business in Winston Salem. When you insult your audience like that, piss them all off. That's it. I'm done. You know, I mean, what would have hurt if they won that match? You know, you know what that's called. What's Just that? in generally, cheap heat. No, no, they got their cheap heat. Okay, but it was all designed. The face should have came out on top of the paper. That would be a big payoff. What was the point of demoralizing R and calling him a drunk, mocking Ric Flair, trying to desecrate all of the horses, trying to ruin Arn's retirement speech, make a big mockery about it, insulting his family, calling him a drunk? So his wife and kids got to remember him as a, he was a drunk in the business. You know what I'm saying? Trying to get, but that's one of the things that professionals you don't cross, you don't attack the man's family. You don't insult the man's family. The biggest, and that's what the, the thing but, about that is hey, uh, the four horsemen <laughs> were beloved uh-huh. and everything like that. So it was cheap heat. I hate cheap heat. I hate cheap heat. I've always, uh, it's too easy. I go back to 2005, I'm sorry, 2006, when Randy Orton challenging Ray Mysterio to put his WrestleMania spot on the line, and, you know, Randy was already, de- he already dedicated the Rumble Eddie when, when he won it, right? You know, yep. so he's kind of looking up in the sky and, you know, trying to, like, Eddie, should I take it? And Randy Orton's like, Ray, what are you doing? Eddie's not up there. Eddie's in hell. He should be looking down there. Right off the bat, I wanted to kill. Because I don't know if Randy Orton really said that or he's being pushed by the writer to say that to get cheap that that's just crossing the line right there man i got this it's like it's just like the best the best heat that i've seen lately heel wise was uh when aj styles was going against uh was going against samoa joe and samoa joe was a heel with that daddy's home and he was at aj's house yeah that was some good shit. 
Oh yeah. That was some good shit. <laughs> That's yeah. the type of heat that I love to do. I don't I, like cheap heat. It's too easy. I like to work and get people to hate me. You know? But that's what they did with NWO and everything like that. They were getting cheap heat because Arn Anderson was beloved. All the four horsemen were beloved. Uh, Sting, when he was going against the NWO, was beloved. You know? And they took them all down. But and that, to me, is cheap heat. This is, and I agree with Ric Flair. We make the comment: the Horsemen were in the business to get the cheap people and get some heat, but they pay the, the payoff always came in the end when they put the baby faces over on the big payday. The NWO yep. flat out refused to do that. I mean, yep. I don't know, brother. He don't have a tan. Oh, I don't want to do it, brother. I don't want to do it, brother. You know, what I mean, come on. And here, Eric Bischoff tried to dance around all that, call everything, call everybody bullshit, yada yada yada. I mean, come on, dude. You know. I mean, it's the same thing with any kind of big pay-per-view. When they get their cheap heat, you know, they got their heat, get the crowd, and 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 when a payday comes, their baby face to get redemption, become big stars. Yep. They didn't want to put people over and bitch about it. And fights happen in the locker room. That's why it's a heel's job. My job is to make that good guy look good. That's my job as a heel. Because yeah. everybody wants to see the bad guy lose. You know? right. Yeah, I may get some in. I may get I may get a little low blow here and there. You know. Or I may get I may get my foot on the rope here and there. But all intensively, my job is to make that man look the best he's ever been. He's he's a superhero. I'm a supervillain. I don't want to lose that. My job as a heel is to make him look good. No matter how bad he might be. I mean, I made Insane Zane look good. Yeah. Yes, he did. And that's a job. I don't understand. Like, okay, Rick Rude, a great heel. He knew how important. Hey, hey, he hated the Warriors' gut, but it was important for him to put the Warrior over. That's what they wanted. He's the heel. You know what I'm saying? It's his job to make the face look good. And Rude did it professionally, you know? Yeah. Some guys be like, oh, no, I don't want to look weak. I don't want to look weak, you know, and like you're problem telling a story. You're the bad guy. You get your heat, but you pay off the baby face in the end. I mean, under, it's simple psychology, you know. I'm sorry. I know Jay agrees me on this part. I can't stand constant seeing that flippity-flop bullshit, flippity-flop bullshit, flippity-flop bullshit. You're not telling me that story. Okay, yeah, it looked cool. Nice camera shot back. Like, whoa, boom, get back. Okay, but where did it make sense that? You know, if you're doing it constantly, constantly, it loses its luster, in my opinion. Tell a story, you know? Let yep. me hate somebody. It's like a cheer for somebody to kick his ass. 
you know? Yep. Face bleed a little. It hurt him. Suffer him. Make him feel pain. I want to imagine like how Ricky Morton would sell and sell, and this year was just destroying him. But he gets that little bit of hold spot. He comes back. He comes back. Comes back. Then you do a good flip spot. Boom! Make it look spectacular. One, two, three. Over. Take it home. Then you and got that's good. My jo- and that's good. my job. Is by you, Billy. But 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 here's my thing though, dude. You see, when 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 the, when the face comes back and you hit that big sweet, uh, sweet chin music on the moves off the top row, the referee goes to kill. You're kicking out before the referee even hits one. Not you, dude. Personally, I'm just saying some yeah. guy I've seen will do that. I'm like, dude, you just got DDT from the second row. You just got super kick right to the freaking face. Referee goes kill one, kick out. I'm like, dude. Do the one, two, and then kick out. What's up with this? I got kicked out before one or right after one, but I don't want to look weak, you know? You just you just got, got annihilated. Boom, kick out because you got to prove you're Superman, right? Well, well the one person that said that honestly was Mike Tyson. Everybody's got a plan till they get punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. Okay. If you've really gotten punched in the face, if you're in a real fight, I'm talking out there on the street corner, what the hell ever, and you get punched in the face and it rocks you, you're not going to go, oh, I'm fine. <laughs> okay? Because yeah. it rocks you. If somebody puts their face in my chin and tries to kick the back of my head in, it's going to rock me. And that's part of the storyline. Storytelling. When it comes to professional wrestling now, as in the big boys, the WWE, quote unquote, they have no storylines anymore. They're rehashing old storylines. And it's the same storylines that I've seen since I was knee-high to a grasshopper. It's the same exact storylines. One that I can remember intently. Right. Well, if you've seen, uh, well, I know you've seen um, the Yes Movement and everything like that. And the Yes Lock and the Diving Head Butt and right. everything like that, did that not have shades of Chris Benoit? Yes. Because he was a small guy going to a big thing. Yeah. That was Chris Benoit's storyline his entire career. Entire career. And then when the incident happened, which I will let everybody say their piece and everything like that on that, whether they believe it happened or they believe it didn't happen or they believe that somebody was involved in it. I've got opinions too. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one and most of them stink. But the Daniel O'Brien's whole career mirrors the rabid wolverine. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. Come up with your own lines. Come up with your own shit. Well, 
I, 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 I like to comment on that if I could. I, I've had the same argument with Christopher because he would say the same thing. I'm seeing the same old shit. I'm seeing the same old shit. This is Christopher literally hyperventilating and he'll, he'll be truthful about it. And he say he's sick and tired of seeing the same old shit. I said, imagine this in the 1980s, right? What guys that watched wrestling in the 60s were probably saying, you know, let's face it, Rick Flair, Nature Boy, is the exact copy of Nature Boy Blade Rogers, Hulk Hogan. Let's face it, almost exact copy. If you watch their matches of uh, superstar Billy Graham, and they're doing some of the similar angles and the same storylines and then the same finishers, the same new. I, I believe certain wrestling angles can be recycled and reused again to a new audience. Yeah, me and you saw the same thing 20 years ago or 10 years ago or 30 years ago. Because yeah. We're wrestling historians. We can, we can identify. Oh, yeah, I saw the exact same thing when this guy did it. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I guess it's kind of fun either. I look at, okay, let's see if they can do it better. Or let's see if they make it in their own. But if it's like a Zach cop, especially when I see a promo, almost word to word, and I can go back 10, 15 years ago, find the exact same promo where I got something very, 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 very similar, and I just like, oh, my, come on, guys. This this tells me you're running out of ideas. So let's go yep. back and work then, and let's see if it'll work today. Sometimes it works, and sometimes it don't work. But it's just know. like It's just like with this WrestleMania. One of the things that uh, one of the things that a lot of people backstage had a problem with was the Edge and Randy Orton match. Uh, when he hung Edge up in the uh, weight bench. Right. They said it was too much like Chris Benoit. Oh, I sure reckon Benoit hung himself in the weight bench. That yep. documentary, that documentary just came out, Dark Sides in the Ring. Yep. Golly. I'll tell you, that wasn't a slap in the face. I, I, I agree. I mean, but people that's the first, first thing I thought of when he got hung up in that, in that weight bench. I was like, I was like, really? You know, and I thought of Chris Benoit automatically. And they said, well, we didn't mean it like that. Who's going to take it like that? That has followed that all the way through. Now, now I do realize there's a lot of new viewers. And a lot of the old viewers, they'll be like, okay, yeah, that's a a quick slap in the face, da-da-da-da-da. But there's a lot of new viewers that have no idea who Chris Benoit is. Unfortunately, that is true. I mean, the rabid Wolverine was one of my idols. Yeah, mine too. Oh, uh, even though it. even though he only had three moves, one of my other idols was the Warrior, Ultimate Warrior. He had three moves, and one of them was shaking the ropes. <laughs> Let's see. Well, he started tackle a gorilla press slam, and I, I, uh, I, I not even a flying crossbody, just a. Just makes it a little splash. He's got to, he, he picks up a grip, puts there and drops it. Then he just kind of does a little splash on you. One, two, three. And then he closed on you a few times. That was about it. He might punch you a little bit. I see him do, uh, I don't know. Like, if you're working with someone like Rick Rude, you'll see him do a suplex because Rude would do it for him. You know? Yeah. But other than that, your basic warrior match, like you said, three moves. Running the ring, shaking the road, clothesline, shoulder tackle, growth press slam, boom, splash, one, two, one, two, three, take it home. 
but you know? the, the, the thing that excited everybody about him was his energy. Oh, my it, God. And intensity was like, whoa, you know. He had to take a couple bumps in the dressing room. <laughs> it's like, wow. You know, he's the only one that I've ever seen every time run from out backstage to the ring and around the ring. I know. I mean, it's like, wow, you know, this dude's jacked up, too. I mean, just huge, you know. But uh, I did like I did like that he got to say his goodbyes before he died. Oh, that's, 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 that's crazy. You know, your last WrestleMania, you get inducted to the Hall of Fame, you show up on Monday Night Raw, and, and then, like, 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 two days later, you know, he's going to win. Next I was going to win. I think it was, was going to win. It was Monday night that he died. I remember him being on Raw after WrestleMania. He was yeah, there. he was on Raw after WrestleMania, got to say his goodbyes, and then when he died, he was at home with his wife. No, no, see, I, I read I read it was on one. He was in a park lot. He was going to either SmackDown tape or whatever, and he was in a park lot walking. He started thinking he was having chest pain, and he was having a heart attack. I mean, that's what I read. That's what I was told. Oh. Yeah, and and the weird thing about that last that last interview with the warrior, it sounded a lot like a eulogy. Yeah, it did. It did, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, it brought made it. It brought it made it as he was thanking all his warriors. You know, I mean, it's it's amazing, but. One of the things that I love about wrestling is that the superstars of wrestling are so personal. You can pick out something in just about every wrestler that you can attune to yourself. And yeah, I got it right here. I got it right here. I said the ultimate word death occurred in Scottsdale, Arizona on April 8, 2014. Warrior's death came just days after being inducted into the Hall of Fame because he collapsed at 5.50 p.m. while walking with his wife to their car in a hotel parking lot. I mean, that that to me is amazing to me that he got to say his goodbyes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Power to you. But that's what I'm saying. There's there's a personal thing to wrestling and wrestlers that you can attune to yourself. You can you can take something out of every wrestler and put it to something in you. Whether you are wrestling in the ring, whether you're a ref right now, with, shout out to the fireman. With NXT, mm-hmm. you know, whether you're sitting there watching it on TV. And that's what I love about this sport, this lifestyle, this entertainment, whatever you want to call it. Because people, they're real people. Yeah, you turn it up to a thousand, 
but that's your personality turned up to a thousand. That's just my personal view. I agree, brother. I agree. Um, you know, Billy DePree, I know we're getting ready to wrap things up here, man. What's what's your final thoughts? What's what, what's your legacy gonna be in professional wrestling? I'll probably do this till I die. Remember. <laughs> because this is therapy to me. It's a way of just getting everything out. I'll probably do this till I die. I mean, I've broken my back in the ring. Yeah, yeah. I have an L5 fracture, and I still get in the ring. Because this is a love. This isn't a... This, to me, isn't a choice anymore. I don't choose to... I, I, I can't choose to go, well, maybe I won't tonight. No. No. A passion. Just like what I do on my real time is I'm a chef. Right. It's a passion. Cooking is a passion. Wrestling is a passion. It's not a choice anymore. It's ordained. It's a sickness. <laughs> yeah, it could be called that. That's right. Right, Piper. He called. It, he called it a sickness. The more you try to get away, the more you drop back into it. You can't get away. It's what you live and breathe. You know, and and you live and breathe it till you take your last breath. You know. Um, but Billy, I'd love to have you on the show. I definitely want you to get back on. I know you got way more stories to tell, and I definitely want you back on there. Hey, I love to hear debate on some other cool wrestling angles that we love sitting here talking about. I'd love to get your thoughts on the uh, other independent promotions in the area and some other bookers and other promoters and everything. Sorry we didn't get a chance to tonight. But hey, that's why I like a part two. We would definitely have a part two with Billy Dupree if you if you allow it, man. I'm I'm down for it. Outstanding. We'll get you back on here as soon as we can. With that being said, Christian Fury, anything you want to say to the public? Oh, uh, brother, just stay out there. Y'all stay out there. Be safe during this COVID nineteen, and uh, like for God's sakes, you know, make sure you wash your hands and do what you're supposed to do. If you're supposed to stay your butt at home, by all means, stay at home. <laughs> just do everything your mother told you to do. Wash your hands. Stop touching your face. Your mother had it right, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, y'all be safe. Y'all, hey, I appreciate y'all tuning into the show. We'll try to be back on here as soon as we can. I know we got Mr. Blake Collins coming up here shortly. Billy Dupree will be back on the year. And I know myself and Don Brown, Christian Fury, and the rest of us got a lot more wrestling talk to do on the Touch My Bass Entertainment Network and the wrestling shootout. With that being said, I'm Bob Payne Bill Benchard. Y'all have a blessed night. We'll see you next week. Thank you. <laughs>